Hello, and welcome to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Outreach. The aim of this podcast is to inspire, equip, and challenge you, our listener, to be an active and effective evangelist. I'm your host, Gerhard, a missionary here with CCO, and today's episode is the final episode of our little mini-series on the five tenets, as Andre, Angel, and myself have a conversation on a heart for the world, and how important this is to being an effective missionary disciple, even in the context of the one- a one-on-one relationship. Before we get started, if you have any questions about evangelization, please email us at podcast at cco.ca, and we'll answer them in a future episode. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, Andre and Angel. It's good to see you again. Hello. It's great to be back. Uh, it's been a while since we last sat down and talked about uh, and finished off the CCO's five tenets. Uh, for those of you listening, um, we had a, a wonderful little uh, detour into intentional accompaniment with Ian and Michael for a couple of weeks. And we're back. We're going to tie off the, the five tenets of CCO. And this week, we're going to be talking about uh, a heart for the world. So that's a big one. It is a, a big one. And it, it's one I think when you hear a heart for the world, it's so vague and just kind of out there that I think for a lot of us, it just really doesn't mean anything. It's like, yeah. I love everybody. Well, great. That I mean, it's a yeah. nice statement, but it probably it might not mean anything. Yeah. Uh, and we, we want to talk today, like, as evangelists and as missionaries all of us have a dream our our vision for what we're trying to do goes beyond just like our little town our little community and like we we want to see the church renewed particularly as it's going through uh, the the difficult trials and struggles that it is right now so today we're going to talk about a heart for the world and we're really going to try to Pull it out of its elusiveness, help make it known, and then also provide some, provide a connection point between this tenant and the other tenants that we've talked about. The other tenant, before we dive in, the other tenants really quickly are one person at a time. The gospel clear and simple, great expectations, university students, but a context where you do Mm -hmm. that in, and now this one, a heart for the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, you know, just a, a little point I think that needs to be stressed here is this idea of a heartful world. It is very elusive because it's so expansive. You know, like I might have a, a heart for my local parish or my family or the people down the street because I know them, and but to to have a heart for somebody that is you know in another country which I don't know, it's really hard to to. To imagine that and then feel that, and you might think, okay, um, I, I can't have that because you know I'm at home um, uh, and kind of focused, you know, my family and you know my parish and my community. But to think beyond that is it would be just too much, and I don't know if I have the grace to do that. Well, I I want to propose that this conversation about a heart for the world is not an option for a few missionaries, radical missionaries out there. It's actually deeply rooted in our baptismal call. It, it's rooted in our Catholic identity, meaning to be fully Catholic, to really live our faith dynamically, our heart has to extend beyond our own parish community. We are the Catholic Church, which, does anyone know what Catholic means? Universal. Universal. Limited, I thought it meant. It like limited, yes. Small. Like small, kind of focused in on your po- parish. No, no, Catholic is universal. So what is happening in the world 
should matter to us. And so this conversation is an invitation to actually understand that and how that becomes part of my spirituality and part of my missionary thrust. So it's, it's an important conversation, not just for CCO to have or radical missionaries to have, but every Catholic to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, uh, when, you, when you were talking about that it's part of the Catholic identity, it really comes from Christ's commission. It's like, go out and make disciples of all nations. Like he, like he's, Christ himself is casting a much broader vision than just like, go talk to Bob that lives down the street and then stop there. Alshad, how do you think um, the disciples felt when Jesus came to him and said, you know, I mean, they just were limited and, you know, they had influence probably, they had a radius of what, maybe 100, 200 miles. How do you, and they weren't, you know, probably connected people in the Roman Empire at the time. They're fishermen and tax collectors. Mm-hmm. But how do you think they felt when Jesus says, you know, hey, on, in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all the nations? What was their response? Well, I'm thinking that they were probably, you know, maybe a little weirded out, maybe a little um, overwhelmed of what the what Jesus was saying, that he was leaving them, that he's entrusting them with a task that was huge and, and telling them that they had authority and power to go out in his name to do this. They're probably thinking of like, sure, Jerusalem and Judea, but Samaria, that's like not so cool, you know? And t- beyond that would have been places that they were likely uncomfortable going and not really sure what was he really was he really serious about it and he seems pretty serious like there must have been like a lot of emotions going through their minds of um what's going on but also there's the mandate for them to wait like don't go yet i'm sending you but don't go go to jerusalem and wait for this holy spirit uh, power to come it must have been a very confusing but yet meaningful time like it must have been very unique well, as I kind of look at that, you're right. They must have been overwhelmed by, by the task, the, the, the immensity of the task to go to all the nations. But it definitely penetrated their very being, and it really oriented uh, the way they would live uh, their Christian life because what he asked them to do is exactly what they did. After Pentecost, they, they actually went to all the nations you know, right now we're 2.2 billion Christians in the world and different nations of the world because the first apostles took that command to Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations seriously. So, yeah, they must have been overwhelmed, but I think they took it to heart. And the Holy Spirit confirmed that in them. But, but to me, I think the key here is not so much how do they feel, maybe how serious they took the command. To me, that's, that's what's inspiring to me, and that's what I think we should actually really wrestle with in our own uh, our Christian life, our Catholic life, is how do we take Matthew 28 seriously, heart for the world, you know, go to all the nations. To me, that's kind of the heart of this discussion is, you know, how do we take that to heart? Yeah, and I think there's a way that we can do it that all Catholics and Christians can live out, whether you're, you know, at home taking care of like seven kids and like your time is not your own and your ability to get out is highly limited. Like you can, someone in that situation can live it out fully as is someone who 
is a literal missionary going to some far part of the world trying to bring Christ to yeah. those who don't know him. You know, something that, um, Anjan, I know you have a really good quote from from um, Mission of the Redeemer, but I also have one that to me really speaks of this and a responsibility for us to take this to heart. Um, Pope um, St. John Paul II, um, in Mission of the Redeemer, in paragraph 31, he says, you know, we cannot withdraw from her permanent, the church cannot withdraw from her permanent mission of bringing the gospel to the multitudes, the millions and millions of men and women who have not yet known who Christ is as the Redeemer. In a specific way, this is the missionary work which Jesus entrusted and still entrusts each day to his church, to you and I. So this call to go to the multitudes. You know what my, my conviction is? The further our heart reaches out into the world, the more it will be realized locally. So the more we extend our heart out, the more we'll do what needs to be done right in front of us. The less we look outward, I think the less we'll take seriously you know, the mission that's right before us. I know see that happening in real time with our students, which is why we send them on mission is... And always the argument about students going on mission when they're support raising is people say like, well, there's plenty of work to do here. I don't know why you have to go to Mexico or Ireland or the Philippines. Like there's lots of work to do here. And it's like, yep, there's lots of work to do here. But what happens over and over again is those students that go out, they go and touch the world. They are inflamed with greater missionary zeal. They learn skills that they wouldn't learn in the comfort of their own um, environment. They're pushed to do things that um, are a little less scary to do with strangers. <laughs> and they come back with a conviction and strength and desire to be even more outreaching here. So we've seen it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That yeah, yeah. when they go out, they come yeah, back. Exactly. When they go out, what they do is they begin to see that the, the gospel, Jesus, is relevant universally that he has power and he's able to change lives and people are open and ready to receive them in the four corners of the earth. So when they see that God's heart extends beyond their parish or their little community uh, to the ends of the earth, their heart kind of almost is expanded to reflect the heart of God, which is for all people. Mm -hmm. The further our heart goes out, the more I think it becomes authentic you know, in front of us. But, you know, at the heart of it, Anshad, or Gerhard, is, I think, a heart for the world. If we could really boil it down to is really a heart for, for the lost. What does a heart for the world really mean? How do, we, how do we describe it? Well, it's really a heart for the lost. And that lost person, meaning the person that does not know Jesus or does not know him well enough in the words of St. John Paul II, we can see them in our family, you know, there are those people in our parishes. But we're also aware that there are people in all the nations of the world who do not know Christ, who do not know him well enough. That should cause us concern. So it's really a heart for the lost, really understanding the lost. Yes, and it kind of ties back to your experience at, at um, the, the chapel there at the University of Saskatchewan where you were crying out for the world and the Lord's answer to you was like, yep, Andre, one person at a time. Because although we do see the nations, we do see the whole world that is, you know, looking or, or needing Christ. 
but it's it's a person that needs Christ. It's a person who is lost lost in their own sinfulness. They're lost in their weaknesses. They're lost in their their pain and regrets and guilt. They're lost um, potentially for eternity. Do they have? Are they ready to meet their final end? And so, whether they are lost or whether they're not lost, it's not for us to figure out. We know that our mandate is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So to sit back in my comfortable lazy boy chair and, dis- and determine whether I should go and proclaim Christ to my neighbor or to the ends of the earth, because maybe they're fine, is not really what the Lord mandated us to do. He mandated us in love to go and be, be making disciples. So this manifesto from Cardinal Mueller uh, would speak of this, because in... And one of the points that he makes is, you know, that there is a heaven and hell and um, that, you know, people's souls are in jeopardy or the opportunity of heaven is available to all people. And it's our responsibility to bring them to the person of Christ uh, and into the church so that they can actually, um, uh, heaven can be opened up to them. Uh, I I think, yeah, I, I would agree that that a heart for the world really or a heart for the lost it has to we have to understand that there is eternity that that kind of hangs in the balance right so we're not doing a promotional this isn't coca-cola this would be great if you drank coca-cola like we want all the world to know that coca-cola exists which coca-cola is a very good evangelist by the way coca-cola is in every corner of the planet but this is because of souls this is because of eternity this is because of our our great God who has mandated us with this this mission. And so there is there is something very important here. And it's a heart for the lost, but it's also a heart for the Father. Because if this is what the Lord needs us to do, if this is the commission the Lord has, if this is the great ache of our God, that everyone would know and be baptized and become disciples and live with him forever in heaven, then I need to consider God's heart. And what does God, exactly. what is God aching for? And yes, the Lord aches for pain. He aches for the hungry. He aches for the sick. He aches for all the things that need to be healed in this world. And we are the church and we are there. And those, those opportunities to heal and meet people are opportunities to bring God's love, to bring his light, to bring his salvation, to bring his message, to bring Christ, to be the hands and feet of Christ, and to also bring them to Christ, not only serve their needs, but bring them to Christ so that their heart can be healed as well as their their physical needs. And this is what the church is in the world. We are the whole package. We are loving and caring for people and bringing them to sanctifying grace. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I had uh, I described it once this way, is that often, you know, we, each of us, we kind of, are able to understand and really identify with poverty. Not that maybe we haven't been poor, but we, we, we know what it'd be like to, to, to ha- not have food or to be abused or to, to be somehow uh, that your life is, is compromised in some way. We see that and we feel it. So if we look at you know, a child uh, in poverty uh, from a different country, we go, ah, oh, I feel for that. And I want to respond to it. And that's an appropriate response. We should feel and hurt for the poverty in the world. But 
and and so the the appropriate response is actually to do something about it. Mm-hmm. I would say this: uh, the problem is that we we don't know or feel the spiritual poverty of somebody in another country because we don't really understand, you know, the state of the, the importance of of being sanctified by the death and resurrection of Christ, meaning our lives being transformed by it. So we don't understand kind of salvation, if you will. We, we can't identify, okay, we look at somebody and they say, you know, I don't know Jesus. We don't, maybe in, in a different country, we might not say, oh, I feel for them. Oh, I, I want to go and, and speak to them about Jesus because we actually, you know, we don't understand the spiritual reality of, of um, heaven and hell, I guess, you know. I don't know if I'm putting it in proper terms, but... Well, we also don't appreciate maybe the, the pain that the person's in, that maybe they don't even know. Like the, the aches of the heart, the aches of the soul that are made to be filled only by God, to know the dignity of who we are, to know the freedom of forgiveness, the freedom of mercy. Um, when we don't really appreciate what that person is aching for, it's more easy, as you're alluding, to, to see someone in actual physical pain or hunger and be like, I, I see it. And I, I can't yeah. not help you. Like, of course I have to help you. I, I can appreciate what you're going through. But because the aches of spiritual poverty are hidden, we um, we just kind of look at the external. We don't look at the internal. And we're not recognizing the deep hunger and pain of our brothers and sisters who would be fed by Christ and yeah, his church. Yeah. You know, Anusha, lately you've been talking a lot about reflecting kind of the behaviors of the missionaries and the great saints of of old who were always going to the next village. They're always kind of, you know, not just satisfied or just not sticking in one village, but going to the next like Saint Francis Xavier, you know, he would he would go and he would, you know, convert and baptize, you know, great numbers. And then, you know, he'd establish uh, you know, a leader there. And then he would go to the next village. Talk to me a little bit about why they would actually want to go. To the next village, why up up river? What do you think the motivation? Would you say it's a heart for the for the the lost that that motivates these men and women? Well, I'd say it's a heart for the lost. It's a heart for the world. But I think it's um, I think it's fundamentally the Holy Spirit because um, when the disciples had to wait after the Great Commission, wait, wait, wait. The reason why they went out so so powerfully, so well, was because of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because they um, were bought in with the program that Jesus gave them um, on the mount. They were, they went out of the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction. I don't think if they didn't have the Holy Spirit that that would have been yeah. very successful, right? But the Holy Spirit is what prompts um, St. Francis Xavier, prompts um, the North American martyrs to go up the river to the next village when there's plenty of work to be done at home. There's plenty yeah. of work to be done in that village uh, it was killing Francis Xavier to leave every village that he left, but he knew the Holy Spirit was calling him to get to the next place. And he, he knew he could just, he could set up a seminary there, he could set up schools there, he could get like, he wanted to get locals to be priests, like he wanted to do all these things, he had these projects in mind, and he had to kind of leave his dreams and projects with people, hoping they would do it, but he knew the Holy Spirit was calling him to go to the next place. So is that... um. <coughs> Is that a wise leadership decision? I don't know. But I can I would say that St. Francis Xavier kept going because the Holy Spirit impelled him to keep going. You know, it's interesting, I was, uh, it was a couple of years ago, um, 
I was having a discussion with somebody and they were they were kind of backhand kind of way criticizing my desire to to expand uh, to do the next thing to to grow CCO to to look and seek more opportunities almost like he, he said Andre why don't you just settle down and do what you need to do right here why are you always looking for new opportunities it's almost like you're obsessed by growth and I um, and so he was kind of criticized me for my zeal for the next thing. And so I, I took that to heart, actually. I, I really reflected on that. And as I heard this criticism and as I was reflecting on it, I was reading The Life of St. Francis Xavier. And so I was very encouraged by his disposition. He was actually considered, they, the people around him felt he was the impatient one because he was always going to the next thing. I, I was able to identify with him that this desire for more, the magis to kind of, you know, more and more, more and more souls. And so as I was reading, I was thinking, no, that's actually the heart of the father. And St. Francis Xavier, who is a patron of missions, he had the heart of the father and he was expressing it by wanting to go further and further. But you make a really good point. It, you know, as I, you know, I'm thinking back at that experience and that discussion I had with that person, really it wasn't me, you know, gritting it out and, 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 you know, just my kind of competitive spirit wanting to do the next thing. I, I'm confident that it was actually the Holy Spirit that was propelling me further and further out. And so I would agree the Holy Spirit is really essential and if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, I'm, my, my, my suspicion is that he's going to extend our vision to the nations. If we allow him, if we, if we say, okay, Holy Spirit, you know, where should my heart be in regards to the heart for the lost? How, how, what, to what extent is it, it to reach out? And I, my, my suspicion is if we would read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, I, and also Acts 1, 9, I think the Holy Spirit would show us that the heart of the Father is for the nations. The heart of the church, the Catholic Church, is for the multitudes. Well, a Pentecost, the birth of the church, the sending out of the, the disciples. I mean, let's look at that event. You know, it is what happens when the Holy Spirit falls on them and all the manifestations of the, the Holy Spirit, the wind, the you know, just this this whole thing happening— is that they start speaking in different languages that the people understand, and Peter's proclamation is a clear proclamation of the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation. And when he he preaches, what happens is the people were cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do to be saved? Amen. So is this not a model? If, if this is the Holy Spirit's first big appearance out there in the world, and it's with multiple languages and a pro clear proclamation of Christ for salvation— then I suspect that this is at the heart of what the Father's heart for <laughs> the world is. You know, that it is the world. It is multiple languages. It is uh, to go from where you are and to travel out. I think there are more efficient ways God could have done this. Like, I think he just could have gotten Google Translate to do things much earlier and um, sent out people nuncios around the world and just, I don't know. Like, there's got to be more efficient ways, but this is the way that he has chosen is to work through this personal evangelization, through the implantation of the church, through building disciples, going to the nations, and doing the hard work of being... Winning souls. Winning souls and being pilgrims and, and, and meeting people and, and reaching them. And this is 
this is our heritage. This is our call. Like, this is what the church is. And it hasn't changed. This this was the whole point of Redemptoris Missio being written. Exactly. When John Paul II wrote it was not the new evangelization. People read it. No, it's it, it was it was to the nations. It's to the nations. It's about the mission ad gentes, which means to the Gentiles, which yeah. means to the nations, not just to the Jewish people, but to the to the nations. And his his whole point of the the encyclical is is the mission to the nation still valid? Is this exactly. really a legitimate concern for the church in this day and age? And he he wants to drive home the point that yes, it is. And the quote that you read is is phenomenal. This um, this encyclical, it is an encyclical, hey? Yes, it is. Um, it actually took me days, um, weeks to read it because I couldn't read more than a page without having an overload. Like I was having emotional excited, zealous, like bursting reading his words because it was such a beautiful expression of this heart for the world that I, it was almost like it was on fire. Like I couldn't actually like pick it up anymore. I had to walk away from it and let the fires burn down before I could start reading it again. Some really great quotes that I'll throw into this story Yeah, here. please. Um, and this uh, b- is- by the way, you know, when you, when you read these quotes, I invite our listeners to, to receive it uh, the way Angev received it is fire, because <laughs> it really they are really fire, and they are not meant to be quotes, you know, to give us knowledge, but they're meant to, for uh, they're 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 words that are meant to penetrate our hearts, and eventually our actions. So this is from up. like page two, like like literally, like it just it's just it's amazing, and this the is introduction, a, literally paragraph three. Okay, so I'm just gonna pull two paragraphs out of paragraph three. The number of those who do not know Christ and do not belong to the church is constantly on the increase. Indeed, since the end of the council, it is almost doubled. When we consider this immense portion of humanity, which is loved by the Father, and for whom he sent his Son, the urgency of the church's mission is obvious. God is opening before the church the horizons of a humanity more fully prepared for the sowing of the gospel. I sense that the moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization and to the mission ad gentes. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. There you go. See, this thing causes me to cry all the time. You're always crying. I am. You're always crying. But, oh, I mean, let's do a podcast just on that quote. Yeah, we, I mean, could. we could. We could just spend some time. Every word is drenched with truths that should move us to the core. He says it should cause us great concern. Now, we need to ask ourselves, does what he say, that the multitudes, the growing number who do not know Christ is on the crease... On the increase, he said, since the council, the council, it's doubled. Well, that was written in 1991, I think it was. Well, I'll tell you, things have changed since 1991. So not only has it doubled, it is <clears throat> the people who do not know, know Christ is overwhelmingly, um, the numbers are growing. And he said, that should cause us concern. Now ask ourselves. Does it cause us concern? 
Well, I want to tell you, Longshot and Gerhard, it causes me great concern. Great concern. And I am willing to lay down my life. And I'm sure that you would say the same thing. Lay down my life for this cause. To bring Jesus, to make Jesus known to more and more and more souls. Pope Francis talks about in Evangelii Gaudium, in this regard, he said, the church needs people that are willing to be martyrs, to lay down their lives, to pay the price. And I, I, I encourage my listeners, our listeners, to, to consider that. I know it's, it's pretty exaggerated, um, pretty extraordinary, and maybe a little bit intense. But boy, when I consider what John Paul II has saw as a reality, uh, the only response is, I'm all in. I'm all in. Thanks for joining us today for our exploration on A Heart for the World. As mentioned in the intro, this is the final of our five episodes on the five tenets of CCO. If you have any questions, comments, queries, quandaries, conundrums, or otherwise, please email us at podcast at cco.ca. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share us with your friends. Once again, I'm your host, Gerhard, and you're listening to the Missionary Disciple Podcast by Catholic Christian Air Reach. Until next time, God bless. God bless.